welcome to Agape Ministries Podcasts, a whole new way of thinking. Episode 17, part 2 of Ruth Patterson's inspiring teaching on community. Admitting weakness can be dangerous since it might lead to rejection. Instead, we feel that we need to show our competence, our capability, our power, our knowledge. If not, we risk being wounded, rejected, isolated, and scorned. What if we dared to believe that being loved is within our grasp, that all we have to do is to choose to believe it? And as we practice that choice, a bit like building up our muscles after an injury, one day we'll be aware that this truth has taken root within us, has become part of us. We will then be well on our way towards being builders of community and makers of peace. What I'd like to do now is to explore that concept of beloved community just a little by looking with you at probably the best-known parable Jesus told in response to a question from a representative of the religious institution of his day who'd been seeking to trap him. You remember that there was an interchange about the most important commandment, about loving God with everything in us and our neighbors as ourselves, which incidentally explains why the love of neighbor is often in scarce supply. We have such a hard job loving ourselves. And after the interchange comes the question, who is my neighbor? And there follows the story of the Good Samaritan. This story has been used throughout the ages to challenge, encourage, and persuade human beings to come to one another's aid, to cross barriers of religious, racial, and cultural prejudice, and to promote good causes of every sort. Now, before you switch off, because you feel you know it by heart, could you use your sanctified imaginations just a little bit with me and consider one of the characters who at first reading plays only a shadowy role, that of the innkeeper. It was a busy road, this road between Jerusalem and Jericho, the holy city of the Jews and Jericho a city of trade and commerce. It was also a lucrative road for bandits, If they chose their time and their target carefully, they could make a good enough living and not get caught. Few would risk going to the aid of a fellow traveler lying beaten up by the roadside in case this too might be a trap to lure them into the hands of the robbers. Along this vital link road between Jerusalem and Jericho, there would have been a number of inns, resting places for weary or fearful travelers. As for the bandits, so for the innkeepers. This could be a lucrative, if dangerous, place to have such an establishment. Hospitality was central to ancient Middle Eastern culture, even as it is today. And the inn was one place that epitomized this hospitality. This particular inn was probably Jewish-owned, yet open to everybody. And so when the Samaritan stranger brought along the wounded Jew, 
both would have been welcomed according to the laws of hospitality. The Jewish innkeeper may have held in his heart all the prejudices of his race towards the despised Samaritan. Yet he did not let that deter him from his duty. He had a business to run, a family to keep, and if that meant opening his doors to two such marginalized guests, one half dead whom the robbers might come back and finish off, and the other the traditional enemy, who was he to argue? Their money was the same, and life was hard. The inn in this particular story becomes the place of safety and of hospitality par excellence. The Samaritan traveler and the Jewish owner join forces to aid the wounded man. It becomes the place of healing and generosity. After tending the man overnight and as he's preparing to leave, the Samaritan hands the innkeeper the equivalent of two full day's wages, asking him to look after him. And if you spend more than that, he says, I'll repay you next time I'm passing. And off he goes, not looking for recognition or thanks. The inn becomes the place of celebration and community. And as he recovers, the wounded man and the innkeeper naturally live community together. They share with each other. No doubt they talk about the Samaritan stranger and how his actions have jolted their prejudices and burst open a few unexploded myths about the other. What a road of reconciliation they have begun to travel because one man allowed his compassion to overrule his passions and acted as neighbor towards the perceived enemy. And how they must have eagerly scanned the horizon for his return to hear his story and to discover in greater depth what it meant for him to spend more. In light of this story, what then are the characteristics of the inn? And where would we find such hospitality today, such resting places? First and foremost, it's a place of hospitality. Seems to me that the whole con concept of hospitality is at the core of the gospel. Hospitality between ourselves and God, hospitality between the alienated parts of our own inner being, hospitality between ourselves and others, hospitality between us and the whole created order. I believe with all my heart that Ireland has a destiny under God and that that destiny is in the whole area of restored hospitality, as I've described it, not for ourselves alone, but so that we might, even at this late date, be a sign of hope for the world. And I also believe that this moment is our challenge, our opportunity, our gift. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow is an unknown, but this now is all that we have been given, and it is enough more than enough. The word welcome comes from the old English, you are welcome. It is good that you are here. The inn was also a place of safety. 
In the ancient Middle East, if anyone was fleeing from an enemy and came across an encampment or an inn, it was incumbent upon the host to take him in. And while he was his guest, the enemy could not touch him. So we find, you prepare a banquet for me where all my enemies can see me. You welcome me as an honored guest and fill my cup to the brim. Being a place of safety meant that the guest was treated with respect and dignity, was listened to, and could entrust himself and his story to the host, knowing that in the host's eyes, both were sacred. Over the years in Restoration House, we've sought to provide such a place where people can come. And we have learned that genuine listening requires an openness of mind, a generosity of heart, a humility of spirit, and the courage to be vulnerable before the other, all of which are hallmarks of the beloved community. Where are today's inns? Are they our churches? Do we find them at the roadside of life, open to receive and welcome all those who need a resting place or a place of safety or healing for whatever reason? Are they communities of celebration? Do people find in them the challenge and the means through which they can be reconciled not only with God, but with their own inner beings and with each other? Does the traveler sense flowing from them a generosity of spirit, a willingness to spend more, more of themselves, more of their resources, more faith, so that all who pass by are not only welcomed but restored so that they may continue their journey? Are they so pervaded with the presence of Jesus that something of his fragrance is in the very air around them? This whole story that Jesus told is very challenging. Yes, the church needs in ways that are clued in and relevant to the 21st century to be the good Samaritan, not expecting the wounded or the broken or the disillusioned to crawl to them on their bleeding hands and knees, but to be out there in the nitty-gritty of our world being present for such as these, which is really all of us at some point or other on our journey. But we also need the right sort of inns to bring them back to, places of welcome, of acceptance, of love, of trust and compassion, of community that is open. And even if there are some who have grasped this sort of vision, have they also learned that hard lesson that a roadside inn is precisely what it says it is? It is an inn for travelers, for pilgrims, not a permanent resting place. So people will often move on when they are restored, when they feel ready for another bit of the journey. And often out of our own desire to survive, we have wanted settlers. And neither we nor they then ever discover what it is those travelers have been deprived of or what we've missed through clinging on rather than letting go. In Restoration Ministries, we have had a pilgrim community. People have come, have been welcomed, hopefully nurtured, and have received food for the journey and wine for rejoicing. And then they move on, and we let them go with a blessing, with gladness 
and a certain degree of sadness. Gladness because they're taking whatever they've received to others along the way. Sadness because, by and large, we have loved them. And it's hard to say goodbye. What riches we have received from them, these courageous pilgrims. And right now, in this moment, we're being challenged afresh ourselves as we let go of our particular inn of Restoration House because there are no longer the finances to maintain it. So we're becoming pilgrims again in every sense of the word. And only God knows where our next inn will be. But because he does, all is well. But perhaps, am I still all right, Jerry? But perhaps we need to look beyond our churches of which we are a part and ask the deeper and more intimate and challenging question, am I an inn? Am I in my very self a resting place, a place of safety and hospitality for others whom I encounter every day along the road of life? Do I sometimes allow my prejudices, color and override my duty as a follower of Jesus to be in my very self a place of welcome? Have I in any sense reached a point where I can let my compassion overrule my passions? Has generosity, spending more, become a way of life for me so that now it is second nature? What are the laws of hospitality that rule my life? Do I, out of my own woundedness, subconsciously seek to persuade some travelers to become permanent residents with me, rather than having the selflessness that encourages them to continue traveling on their journey towards home? As Christians, we model or should our hospitality on that of God. Even a cursory glance through scripture will reveal that one of his favorite words is, come. I have a dear friend whom I don't see very often, and communication is largely by letter, but on those rare occasions when meeting is possible in the midst of his tireless schedule, I go to his door and I knock. And immediately a voice says just one word, come. But in that one word is all the welcome and the celebration of friendship. And I enter confidently, trusting in the word that I have heard and knowing that there will be no gap, no discrepancy between the invitation and the actualization. He means what he says, and I take him at his word. And that, for me, is a little glimpse of God. Threshold crossing always leaves us vulnerable. And the natural human reaction inclines towards self-protection. Yet the willingness to be open and vulnerable are two of the essential ingredients in creating that sense of community where trust, the most fragile of plants, is encouraged to blossom. The only way in which I can even begin to approach such a way of being is if I let the inn of abiding, grow within me. If there is within me a place of prayer, a place of deep communion, of intimacy, a place where Jesus is present, then however stumblingly, 
I begin to become that roadside inn. But not one that is pulled in every direction by all the searing and anguished needs of the world. Rather, as I abide in him and as he abides in me, then I will know when he wants me to open my doors of welcome, even of abandonment, and when he wants me to retreat for a little while so that I may welcome him in a fuller way and so be refreshed and restored myself. Some of you may have seen that remarkable film of gods and men that came out within the last year, telling the true story of eight French Trappist monks, seven of whom were martyred in 1996 in Algeria, a time when that country was going through a period characterized by corrupt government and militia and Islamic fundamentalism. France is, by and large, an atheist country, yet over three million people flocked to see that film and, by and large, left in silence. So moved were they. Says a lot about people's hunger and search for hope and meaning in life and, perhaps, for beloved community. There are so many levels to this film, but basically it tells of the dilemma that this little group of monks face as they struggle with whether to leave or to remain, knowing that the staying would almost certainly mean death. While they are community, bound together by their very ordinary uh, daily tasks and their life of prayer, each of them has to go on that inner journey of facing themselves and their own fears until independently each one comes to say to the other, je rest, I stay. In their ordinariness and their extraordinariness, they are very much a beloved community in the process of becoming. Throughout the film, they increasingly have all things in common, their joys, their fears, their commitment, and even their death, which poignantly is not filmed. The final images of them walking through the snow, helping each other on their last pilgrimage. What characterized the early believers, what characterized the monks of Tiberine, perhaps most of all, was an overwhelming generosity. Generosity of spirit, of action, of attitude. Both lived in hostile environments, daily facing extreme danger. But, there's always a but, but because they had pilgrim hearts, because they had entered into loving relationship with Jesus Christ crucified and risen and present with them always in that that third dimension, they were image bearers of the kingdom. The places in the world that have the most obvious division and conflict and hatred have the biggest onus upon them if they are people of faith to show that a different way is possible. And that sadly or perhaps very excitingly includes us here still in Ireland. Raymond Carver in a little piece called Late Fragment touches the kernel of it when he says, And did you get what you wanted from this life even so? I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved, to feel myself beloved on the earth. 
when you know that and who it is who loves you, then all things become possible, including having all things in common. Towards the beginning of this talk, I quoted Hermann Hesse's poem with the refrain, give me your hand. Perhaps we still have a long way to go. Community comes into being and is nurtured by simple little actions that are possible for everyone, like reaching out a hand in friendship, beloved. What I'd like to do now as I close is simply to, to share a little reflection with you that I wrote some time ago when I was thinking about this. And for me, I guess it sums up what I've been trying to say and all maybe that I can't say. If your heart is for peace, and my heart is for peace, give me your hand. Give me your hand, so small a thing to ask, and yet so big. If I let my hand touch, grasp, clasp your hand, then somehow I have crossed the Rubicon. I cannot be the same. I cannot be the same if in the clasping of your hand I dare to raise my head and look into your eyes and see there a mirror image of myself, frightened of trusting, fearful of the unknown, scared to admit your humanity, lest I am invaded, taken over, lest all they have told me over centuries proves to be true about you. Give me your hand. Oh, give me your hand. Before the moment passes, before the darkness overtakes, and I discover when it is too late that you were my sister, you were my brother, that together we were being called towards a future bright with hope and promise by the God whose hand forever reaches out to you and me in friendship and because of whom we can never be the same. And so, may the peace of Christ be with you. And may he ever flow between us as I give you my hand. Amen. you for taking the time to listen to this episode. There's a prayer in the Eucharist which for me sums up the teaching that we've heard here and the prayer is this. May this sacrifice which has made our peace with you advance the peace and salvation of all the earth. So until we meet again, let's keep working for peace. God bless you. Stay safe.